year. And there's been a lot of talk. I don't know about you, but um, I'm, actually, I probably do. You're online, wherever you go, people are saying, you know, I, they're, they're, they're making comments about 2020. Can't wait for it to get over. Right? Let's get rid of 2020. It was a bad year. We'll just mark it off as, you know, just one, one of those years, and then we'll move on. But you know that the midnight at the end of this month is not going to change drastically everything simply because the, the year changes. You know that we're going to face some challenges next year. We're going to face some, some, um, some problems next year. But I want to tell you that we don't have to focus on those things. In fact, I believe 2021 can be a great year. But I do believe it's that there are some essentials that we have to do. We have to prioritize our life. And many of us know how important it is to have your priorities right. If you don't have your priorities right, you make mistakes in life. You actually tend to find yourself regretting things because you didn't put the right things in the right place in your life. And we can probably look back over our, our life in, the, in not only just this last year, but in times before where we looked at times where we said, you know what, I really made a mistake because I had my priorities wrong. And for some of us, actually, this year has forced us to get our priorities right. We've been forced to kind of reevaluate things. We've been forced to be in situations, some of us, that have, uh, have placed us in a, in, in a situation where if we didn't get our priorities right, well, it could cost us big time. Some of us health-wise, that has been the case. Some of you have, um, we have some incredible stories of people who lost weight this last year. I mean, I mean, we're not talking 10 pounds, 20 pounds. We're talking massive amount of weight this last year because they said, you know what? I got to get my health right. I got to get my priorities right. We have others who, have, because of not being able to be together as frequently, have become more aware of the value of being together. We've seen that in church. We've seen that in, in, the, in our, you know, our church services and how people just so desire to be together. I've, had, I've talked to many people who are just crying over the fact that they just miss being able to come together and hug one another. And, you know, that kind of thing that you take for granted. And we've learned that some of the many things that we've taken for granted that we probably won't do that anymore. We've learned some good things about the priorities we should have in our life. And today I want to talk about the priority, in fact, the priority that really is a choice to make a, well, to, to make a trade, if you would. I, um, I was, uh, we were talking in the back be, uh, uh, a before service, and uh, one, one of the, the guys was talking about how his wife and his daughter, they go shopping the day after Christmas. You know, that, that's where you get a lot of good deals, isn't that right? I mean, some of you know about that. You shop the day after, and well, the, a lot of the stores have know that now, and so they don't really drop their prices so much. Um, but that used to be kind of the thing. In fact, Carol and I would do our Christmas shopping the, for the next year, the day after Christmas. And uh, even our, our, you know, any kind of um, Christmas 
um, decorations and those kind of things that we wanted. We would do it the day after. We get, you get incredible prices. Nowadays, they don't even have, there's nothing left in the stores. But the point was that you look for a good deal. How many of the, are those kind of people that, like, you're always looking for the good deal? You're, you're, you know, you're, you want the sale. Um, how many of just, I'm just going to buy it, I don't care. I'm just going to get what I want, and if I want it, I'm going to pay whatever price I, okay? Yeah, there's a few of you that, that are that way. Um, I'm, a, I'm a regret after I buy kind of guy that, you know, if I purchase something, I, I'm just not sure if I got the best deal. And the worst are the big items. Like if I purchased a car afterward, I always have about a week's worth of regret. Like, I, I don't know, I think I, think I might have I gave in too soon, you know, in my negotiations. I'm, I'm that guy. I struggle with that. Well, there is, in fact, a deal that th this portion of Scripture, Paul the Apostle is talking about a deal he made. A deal he made. He, he, he made, he made a, a choice to give up because that's what a deal is. You give up something for something else. Something you think is better. Okay? Whether it's the money you have that you purchase something. But, or, or a trade that you make. You give up maybe even time that you give for something that you think is better than the time that you would have spent it in a different way. So this is about Paul giving up something that he had spent his whole life to achieve. He had, he had spent his whole life since he was a little boy. He was trained up in a way that would bring him to a place, at least in the eyes of the religious leaders of his world, where he would have achieved and, you know, immensely in, in, that, in that arena of his life. He had been trained up by one of the greatest um, theologians of his time, the, one of the most honored men of his, in, in his era. If you wanted to get, th this was like the professor of professors, right? It's like if you're a scientist and you were trained up under Einstein. I mean, you got, he got the best that he could get, and he was able to, and his parents obviously had the resources to fund some of that, but he also had to earn it. For him to be a disciple of Gamaliel, he himself had to be a high, very high achiever. See, he was at the Harvard of discipleship school. And not only that, he had given himself over to the purposes of his religious sect to such a place that he would be venerated. He would be coming to the place where he himself would be one of those kind of disciplers that is honored in the community. In, in the religious world of Israel of that day, the high-level uh, priests or disciples, disciplers, were a lot like we do with some of the athletes and some of the, um, the people we would look up to, some of the celebrities that people look up to today. We place them at a real high place, and if they've achieved a great thing, you know, a Michael Jordan of, of the day or, or you know, a, a great singer or whatever, you look up to them, 
and people look up to them and they honor them and they've achieved something and they, boy, they wouldn't, they wouldn't trade that for anything. They worked really hard to get there. Paul has earned that. In fact, in Jewish life, those disciples had a following, and the following wouldn't be just those that they discipled, but there'd be a whole community who were following. If you go to Israel today, and you, uh, you will look in the, the, the area where you have the Hasidic Jews and so forth, you'll see these men walking around, and they have these flamboyant hats. Some of them, you know, a big rim hat. Some of them are real tall. They have all these different, very... Um, ornate kind of hats. It's really, these things are, well, they're actually gaudy looking. Kind of, but, but they, I think they wear them proudly. And everyone that has one, you, what, what you, people that are outside don't know, is when a person looks at that man that has his hat, his hat will tell him what group he's following. Who's the disciple? Who's the Michael Jordan of their, you know, re- religious a community that they follow. And there's, you know, so each one, each, each of these have different, you know, there's different kinds of hats that represent their group. And they're following after an individual and that person's name, everybody knows. Uh, the whole religious community knows who those superstars are. Paul was going to be one of those superstars. He was on his way. He has already not only um, been a, a high-level disciple, he has also now become one who has distinguished himself because he was now persecuting this sect called Christians. And he was taking them down. He was dragging them to prison. He was persecuting them. And he was going, well, he was on his way. And then he gets stopped on the road to Damascus. And, uh, and Jesus confronts him. And he has a choice to make. And he makes the choice to give up everything, everything that he's worked his whole life for, for life, actually, in his case specifically, he has been promised persecution. And he said, in fact, he was told right at the beginning that he was going to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. That that was a calling on his life. That he was to go and he was going to be the the apostle to the Gentile world, but know this, there's going to be suffering along with it. And God just tells him that right ahead of time. That's kind of when you kind of go, wait a minute, let me reevaluate this thing and uh, see if there's Kind of a, is there a lesser level of commitment on this, Lord? Could you kind of lower this one? Would, would I be okay just being like one of, the, one of the regular folks? I know everybody kind of gets persecuted, but could I take it down a notch? Not Paul. Not at all. Because Paul sees the benefits, the benefits that the trade-off is far greater than what he's given up. And I want to look at that because I don't know what you're trading off to follow Jesus, but I want to show you why we should, without hesitation, why would anyone not make that trade? 
It says in chapter 3 and verse 7, he says this, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. All these things that I've achieved in my life. And if you read the first six verses, you'll find he tells us uh, why he is, in fact, he was, he was you know, venerated the way he was. Why he had so much and why he had accomplished and why if there's anybody who shouldn't be proud of what he's accomplished, well, Paul should be able to be proud of what he accomplished in his life. But he says, I've looked at all those things and I, I count them loss. I, I, don't, I don't see them as, fact, in fact, um, you know, in fact, a benefit. I consider them to be a debit. You know, they're not, this is, this is not something that I can say I'm pleased about in my life, even though I used to be. Now I see that what I worked for and how I gave my life to those things, thinking I was doing God a favor, that in fact has been a loss. Verse 8 says, "For Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I, I, I want you to press in here and look at this. He counts it lost for not just the knowledge of Christ Jesus, but the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Everybody say excellence. It's the excellence. This is, this, is, this is greater. This is more wonderful. This is something beyond normal. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. The word knowledge there is the word that, that has to do with experiential knowledge. There is just you know, there's book knowledge, there's, there's just intellectual knowledge, but there's experiential knowledge. And so you can say, I, you know, I know the president when you go, because you've seen him on TV, you, you know, you've seen, you've heard him speak or what have you, but you don't know him experientially. See, I, you, you, you might have a friend that you know experientially. You have a spouse that you know experientially. Maybe at one time all you knew about them was their name and a couple, you know, a couple things about them. But because you got into a relationship, you grew in that, and now you know them. And you are probably knowing them. There's a greater knowledge of that. This word he uses is an intimacy of knowledge that he has with Jesus Christ. He counts all the stuff that he did lost all my achievements, all the trophies I got for participating, those things are lost, they're gone for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. See, he had, he had suffered the loss because when he became a Christian, all that stuff that he had achieved was gone. He couldn't draw on those anymore. In fact, the people who would have honored him are now would be the people who are after him. And he says, I count it as rubbish. I count it as dung. 
that I may gain Christ. Now, the Christ he's talking about is his Lord, because notice it says the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, that I might gain Christ. It was all about, and it always is about, a relationship with God. You know, um, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, talked about a covenant that was coming, a new covenant. And the scripture says this, that no one, when this new covenant would come, that no one would say, need to say, come and, and know the Lord. For all will know him. From the least to the greatest. All will know him. All those who are in the covenant, all those who have accepted Christ, all those who are believers, they know the Lord. Because that is the, 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 that's how salvation comes to us. It comes to us in relationship. That we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, listen, of all the things that I've accomplished, I can count that stuff as nothing. I can count that stuff as worse than nothing. I can count that stuff as smelly compared to the knowledge, the knowing of my Lord. How, how, what is more important than just the knowing of the Lord? That is his pursuit. That's his priority. He says, above everything else in my life, that I would, in fact, go after my first thing, the number one thing in my life, is for me to have a relationship with God. I, I, I find too many Christians, their pursuit is uh, more of a religious idea, like like just kind of doing whatever the minimum will, would be considered to be what called a Christian. And that's not what Christianity is at all. Christianity is, in fact, a, an ongoing pursuit of a relationship with the God who saved us. It's a relationship with Christ and knowing him and relating to him and loving him and him loving us. We grow in that. I know when I came to, to Jesus, you know, when I first came to the Lord, it was, it was so exciting to me. I, I didn't know all that I was getting into. It, you know, but it was exciting to get to know, know the Lord. But the last thing I ever wanted to be was a, a preacher. I mean, I, that just seemed like the most boring thing in the world. You know, I had plans for my life. I had, I had, you know, I had, I had, I had dreams that, uh, that I thought I was heading in the right direction for, and all of that was coming down, and then I get this call from God. And it wasn't like I was ready to jump in, but I was getting to know Jesus. And as I was getting to know Jesus, I was getting to trust Jesus. And as I was getting to trust Jesus and love Jesus and trust his love for me, I was becoming more and more obedient to the things that the Lord wanted in my life. And I still am. I'm growing in it. This process of getting to know the Lord isn't, isn't like a one-time thing. I'm, you're still getting to know. I've been, I've been married um, 
45 years, and, uh, and it's, I can, I'm still getting to know my wife. And she, I'm, I've learned things uh, just this last week. She was telling me something about her childhood. And I, really, I've never heard that. I thought I heard everything. I mean, in 45 years, don't you think you should have known everything about your spouse? You don't. Because your spouse is changing just like you are. And there's a process. Of course, God doesn't change, but he's unsearchable in all of his, who he is. So you can continually grow in your knowledge and intimacy and relationship with Jesus. And so he pursues that. Now, how do you do that this year? If, if, if that's the priority, and I hope it is for you. If that's not the priority, that's the priority that needs to change in your life. The number one thing in your life, whatever you think it is, as a, if you are a follower of Jesus, the number one thing and the greatest benefit for your life is pursuing getting to know God. Getting to know God, getting closer to God. Here's a couple of practical things. If you want to get to know God, you need to listen to, to him through his word, through the Bible. I mean, we talk about all the time here the importance of the scriptures, studying the Bible, especially if you want to hone in on Jesus, um, get in the Gospels, get to, to know what Jesus thinks and, and says. And, but as you get to know God through his scripture, you get to hear his word through his scripture, then you get to enhance your possibility of hearing his still small voice that he speaks through the Holy Spirit. Because the still small voice of God that comes by the Holy Spirit is the same voice that, that dictated the words of God in the Bible. And you get to understand what he's saying. If, you, if, you, if you're a, a man or woman of the word, you have a greater tendency to understand what he's saying through that still small voice when he wants to speak to you in relationship. And and so you have, to, you have to listen, though. You have to listen for the voice of God. So you study God's word. You listen to him through his word. And then you do this. This, this is really hard for a lot of people. You actually listen to God. You stay quiet before him. Because I think some of us think prayer is only talking to God. And it's not. It's also listening to God. Take five minutes. Take five minutes each day just in quietness trying to hear what God is saying. Now, for some at first, there's, there's a, a difficulty. Maybe you might not hear anything. Maybe you might start to hear this, the voice of God speak to you. You know, Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and they will follow. And so, the process of, of growing in your relationship with God, growing in that understanding, is a process of listening. And it's through the listening process that you start to discern the voice of God from the voice of the world and your own voice as well. Where you start to hear God. And then as you're hearing God, things will happen that will confirm that that was the voice of God. And pretty soon you become more clear about when it is the voice of God actually speaking to you. That is something 
that God offers to us in our relationship to him and is confirmed by the word of God as we study it. That God will speak things to our heart and he'll speak scripture to us and he'll speak still in a still small voice, loving communion with God. And then I challenge you to pray all day long. And some of you are going, there's just no way. I've got work. I've got things to do. How can I get on my knees and pray all day long? Well, pray, pray, praying without ceasing, as the Bible says, is not you on your knees all day. It's you in communion with God all day. It's the awareness of God's presence and communion with God. Some of you have been stuck in your home for a long period of time with someone during this whole thing. I mean, you are seeing more of your spouse or your family than probably you ever wanted at some point, right? You're always there. I shouldn't say that because that's not the case for me, wife. I know you're watching, Carol. Um, you know the point that there comes a point, but this is, this is what you do. I, we, Carol and I will sit, and, um, or we'll go somewhere, and we'll be in, you know, we'll have conversation about something, and all of a sudden, it'll just go quiet. We just ran out of things to say. We've, you know, we've kind of talked out. There's not, you know, there's not much, and we'll just be quiet for a while. But she's there, and I know she's there. And then conversation will start up again. I'll say something, or she'll say something, and we'll start a conversation. See, it doesn't mean that you just never stop talking to God. What it means is you're just totally aware of his presence. And in that awareness, you commune with God all through the day about different things that are going on. I, I enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy him. I think sometimes people just think that when you talk to God, you have to have kind of this deep need that you have to commune with God and you have to pray through and you have to fight for and you have to battle with to get, you know, to get something. And there are times for that. There certainly is. There's times for those kinds of prayers. But, but get, getting to know God, having relationship with God is not just about that. If I was to talk with my wife only in the times when I have deep need, like I am so hungry. That's my deepest needs most of the time. <laughs> and, you know, but only when. And my only communication is when I really want her to do something for me and I really need her to help me or what have you. That's not, not much of a relationship. If that's what your relationship is like, you need some help. You need to get some, you know, some good counsel about your relationship. If you have a relationship that that's all it's about. Relationship can, means this. My communication is just a sharing of life. I share life with her. She shares life with me. When it comes to God, I share life with God. I, I, I Literally, I talk to God about things that I talk with my wife and my kids and my, I mean, with friends. I'll talk to God about stuff like that. And that's how you build that relationship with God. 
Do you think God cares about, I don't know, you, you don't like the, you know, the, the, the price of, of that new Happy Meal that seemed to, you know, seems like COVID has made everything go higher, you know? I mean, do you talk about, to God about things like that? I mean, simple things. Like this morning, I said, Lord, it seems like it's earlier than it should be for me to get up. <laughs> you know, sim- simple things. Do you talk to God about things like that? Do you think God cares about those kind of things? Listen, in relationship, that's what relationship is. It's being real. It's communing with God. The more you commune with, commune with God on everything, the more you'll hear God speak to you about everything. The more your relationship will get deeper with God, even emotionally. The benefit is greater than anything you give up. Express love and intimacy through worship to God. Express, express your heart to God in worship. That's an intimacy that you are able to have with God. Do it regularly. Enjoy him. Celebrate him. Rejoice with him. Paul says, listen, this is, this is what I, I've, I've traded all that up so I could have a relationship with God. And it says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith. Now, this was a great, I mean, this was a weight off his shoulders when Paul discovered that he could trade off his righteousness for the righteousness of Jesus. Now, righteousness is just your, it's your right place or your right relationship with God. When someone has a right place with God and they're, they're, they're cleansed and they're pure, they have a right relationship with God because of their righteousness, And Paul tried to live a perfect life, and he did pretty good. He says, says, when it comes to the law, I was blameless. I lived my life in in a blameless way. Nobody could blame me while watching my life. Now, that's pretty extreme. I I don't know how many of us could say that, you know, I lived my life in such a way that no one can accuse me of anything wrong. But Paul could say that. But he also, even though that was the case, he knew his own heart. He knew his own failures. He knew his own thoughts. He knew, his, he knew himself that there are things that no one else would know, but he would know. In fact, the one thing that came out real clearly for Paul, you read this in Romans, is that he came to the commandment, you shall not covet, and he went, it, it slew me, it killed me. Because he was working so hard, but there was one thing. No one else would know he was coveting. That was on the inside. See, that's the sin that we have in our life oftentimes that nobody can identify is a heart attitude. And Jesus, you know, Jesus came to make a trade for us. His righteousness, because he lived perfectly for ours and Paul was ready to make that. And when he did, he was so thrilled because no longer would this weight of being a a failure be upon his shoulders anymore. 
And that's a trade-off that he made, and it's a trade-off that we make as followers of Jesus. We want to talk about a blessing in our life. The weight of sin is not in anymore. The, your life is, you know, your salvation, your hope for the future is no longer, you know, laid upon you to live it out in such a way, in such a perfect way so that you can, in fact, be confident of heaven. You can be confident of heaven because of what Jesus did. What a trade-off. Does that mean we can just, that we don't live righteous life? Not at all. It just means this, that your, your ticket to heaven is not based upon your righteousness, it's based upon Jesus' righteousness. That's a pretty good thing to celebrate, don't you think? We get to celebrate that? Not my righteousness. Now, should I live righteously? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, because now that you are in the righteousness of Jesus, because you're there, you want to live righteous before God. You want to do those things that please him. But not only that, he's, your, he's, he's a loving father, and the Bible tells us this, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So there are still consequences for living unrighteously. But one of the consequences of failure is not that you're, you've lost your salvation. Because your salvation isn't based upon your righteousness, it's based on his. So if you're a true believer, even if you fail, heaven is still your home. But you want to live more righteously because living more righteously honors God who has saved you, and it's kind of good not to, get, not to have to get disciplined all the time. I mean, who wants to be taken behind the shed with your heavenly father? It's not, it's not, the Bible says it's not pleasant at all. It isn't pleasant. But not only that, it says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of is there any more power than the power that raises, raised Jesus from the dead? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Father. That's the power of Christ fully in his life that I might know him. And Paul was, was getting to know him in the power of his resurrection, the power that he has. And you can see Paul operating under that power in many occasions. Where he called upon God and God did miracles and he saw the supernatural work of God in his life as he was getting to know God in the power of his resurrection. Seeing what God could do for him and the changes and transformation that was happening in his own life because of the power of his resurrection. He says, I've gotten to know him in that power. But not only that, I've got to know him and getting to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. So when I'm getting to know Jesus, I'm getting to know him in the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. And you go, I'm not sure I want to know him in that way. I kind of like knowing him in the power of his resurrection, but I'm not sure I really. Now, Paul was saying, I want to know Jesus so much that I want to even fellowship with him in the arena of suffering because Jesus knew suffering more than I do. He understands suffering more than I do. He's experienced it. And I even want to know him in a 
in, in an intimate way in the fellowship of his suffering. We do that in minor ways. You ever been with somebody and they start to tell you their, um, their, their, especially as you're getting older, you know, when you're younger, you talk all about sports and all kinds of di different things, you know, that young people talk about. You get older, you talk about the new medication you got. <laughs> you know, what, what's going on? You know, the aches and pains. And if you've ever been with somebody that has experienced stuff in you, that you've experienced pain-wise, and you share about it, some of it has to do with different kinds of pains. You know, relational pains and so forth. You're talking to someone that's had a painful experience that, is, that you can identify with and you share. You're sharing. What are you doing? You're fellowshipping. You're fellowshipping in, in their suffering and your suffering. There's something that happens when you're able to do that that is kind of a, a closeness, an intimacy that happens when you're sharing with somebody their hurts and pains, especially the deeper you go, especially emotional pain. When you start to open up to somebody who's had emotional pain and they're opening up to you about their deep emotional pain, there's something that connects you. And you get to know them in a different way, a deeper way. When, when Paul was saying this, he was saying, I want to know the Lord in this way as well, the deepest way. Jesus suffered terribly. He understands suffering. He understands my suffering. And in some ways, some of the things I'm going through, I can say to him, as I, you know, this is my friend, I can say to him, Lord, you remember when you went through that, I'm going through it right now. I could really use your help. I'm going through this. Oh, Lord, I didn't understand what it felt like when they were persecuting you, but I do now. I didn't understand when they were abandoned, but I do now. Kind of in a minor way, very minor. When Carol and I on Christmas morning were sitting together and we had we had decided that we weren't going to, in fact, it was that morning, it was Christmas morning. A couple of the family got sick and we didn't know how far that was extended and, and, we, and we didn't know what it was. And we still don't, we're looking to find out, but it, look, it looks uh, a lot like COVID. Uh, and uh, so we're sitting there and we're, we had, we had, you know, everything's ready. We got all the presents ready. We got the food cooking. Everything's ready. And then the texts come and the next one. And then, this, you know, we send the texts out and say, you know, I don't want to, we can't do Christmas here today. Not, not, uh, we, we're going to have to postpone this. And so we're sitting there and it's kind of disappointing. It's very disappointing. And we're sitting there. And I said, and I said, you know, sweetheart, this is an opportunity for us. We've had, we've been so blessed in our life, to have our family nearby and all of that. This is an opportunity for us to really kind of identify with so many people we know and love that this is kind of their life every Christmas. I have friends, they're all alone, all by themselves at Christmas. I have friends that, you know, they really don't get a chance. They don't have much family. Some don't have any family. And that this is, this is kind of their 
thing. And it's, you know, it's kind of good for us to feel what they feel. That we can have compassion, we can pray for them in that kind of way. And it was, um, and, and, and we did. You know, we did. There's something about that. Jesus, his suffering, that Paul says, I want to know him this way. You know, the scripture says um, that Jesus as a son learned obedience by the things he suffered. In other words, he learned what it was like. There was, some, there was a learning process for Jesus. He learned obedience. Why? He's never had to be obedient to anyone ever. But he submitted himself to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done, he said. He submitted himself to the Father, something he had never had to do. In his humanity, he had to, in his humanity, his flesh want, did not want anything to do with the cross. But he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He learned obedience through the things. He learned what it was to be obedient through the things he suffered. We learn about him in our identification with him. And Paul says, listen, I, I, I want that. And then lastly it says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Christ, Christ didn't come. He didn't just come to make our life better. He came to redeem our life fully. And that includes, that includes his return. That's part of the full redemption. And so, there's a yearning in our heart for the coming of the Lord. And it's not ours only. And in fact, all, re all creation, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, all creation earn, earnest, has earnest expectation and eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. That creation itself is yearning, but not like us. And as a follower of Jesus, Paul was saying, listen, this is the trade-off I made. I made live my whole life without any security of my eternal destination. And for most people today, they're making the trade-off of knowing or in, in their in their mind, believing that they take their last breath on earth and it's the last thing that ever happens for them. That that's the end of the line. So you trade off, live in your life kind of your own way, which never works anyhow. You end up dying without having, ever having full fulfillment in your life with the expectation that when you take your last breath, you do not exist anymore. You're just food for worms. You trade that in for a relationship with the living God, an intimacy that grows in your relationship with God, a righteousness that secures your eternal salvation, the confidence that there's a resurrection at the end of all of this and you will live with God and live with Christ forever. That, you, that when you die, you're in the presence of God instantly. The security and the fellowship that you have with Christ 
on a daily basis and enjoy that enjoyment and the joy of having the body of Christ with you as well. All this changed when you make that decision to follow Jesus. When I, when I came to Christ, things started changing in my life. And I remember, I remember going off. I, I had come to Jesus. I had become a Christian. But I was still... I was still kind of trying to figure it all out. And so I was hanging out, and I, some friends had invited me to a party, and, and so I, I went to this party. Well, you know, it was a worldly party, just a worldly party. And I got there, and I was kind of just wandering around. And I was talking to some folks I knew and so forth. Everybody's, you know, drinking and doing drugs and different stuff. I mean, it's just the world. And and I was just walking through there, and about I was there for about, I'd, I'd say about maybe a half hour. And I was, I was going, I don't even feel comfortable here anymore. This is not my world anymore. It's, it's all changed. You know what I thought of? I thought of, I would rather be at church with my friends worshiping God. I had a group of friends, buddies, new friends. They were new friends because a lot of them I just got to know. Um, so I'd rather be with them going to church and worshiping God and enjoying the presence of the Lord and fellowshipping and loving on one another. I said, what? I miss that. It, there wasn't church that night. But it was the last party like that I ever showed up to. I was bored stiff. I drove away going, what a waste of time. That was my life before. I couldn't wait for the next party. I would be the, one of the last ones to leave. I was always part. That was my life. That was my, what I looked to. How did that change? I traded in for something so much better. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. How, you too? I think you're clapping because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had that same experience. Well, listen, folks. Let's place Jesus in the right place as we enter into 2021. We do that. What place is that? The place where my fellowship with him is number one. My relationship with Jesus is number one in my life. And by the way, if he's number one, your number two gets a better deal. Right? Yeah. I never understand the fact that there's a spouse that will push back on their spouse getting closer to Jesus. I just don't understand that one. Because if your spouse gets closer to Jesus, you're going to get the benefit. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you. This morning we just, Lord, I just come to you. Lord, help us. Some of us have gotten so tied up with so many other things, even our problems, that we focused and we put our focus in the wrong direction. I pray that, Lord, as we are entering into this new year, that, Lord, our focus will be on that which is so much better than anything we've given up our relationship with you. I pray that everyone that's been hearing what I've been saying this morning 
with your help, will say, Lord, I want to spend the day with you every day. I want to fellowship with you. I want to talk with you. I want to enjoy you. I want to draw closer to you. Help me to do that, I pray. Help me to start today. Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. sin runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you are and where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in me Lord I stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay oh you are Lord I need you
my righteousness oh god how i need you yes we do jesus thank you that you're faithful to fill every need amen god bless you church be blessed as you go we'll see you in new year's eve service lord i need you oh i need you